Um, welcome to the photo book book group and amazing. This is our 36th and it is the last one of the fall 2021 series. So that's a big accomplishment. Um, I'm Jay Sabella Smith and welcome to the people who are new to our platform and hello to the people who are repeat. Um, I'm just going to give a little introduction or frame of of the photo book book group and then introduce our guest Sandy with a, a frame that because I have been diving into her work to talk to her over the next hour, I, I introduce Sandy through my lens um, because I'm sure many of you are familiar with her work um, and I know that you can look at her multiple accomplishments and, and previous books. So um, I created this platform for artists, photographers, academics, and bookmakers to share ideas, challenges, and resources. My intention is to engage and sustain an interactive community based on my belief. We each move each other forward. And I do begin with an ask, which is to support the institutions, the organizations, and the individuals who are foundational to our photo and art community. So I'm asking you to think about if, and if not, to think about making it happen, that you are a member of different museums, that you reach out and become a member of nonprofits, especially those supporting photography. And they are everywhere. We are not bound geographically. You can live in Massachusetts and be a member of the Center of Photo in LA. You can live in California and be a member of the Griffin Museum of Photography. It's a very rich, interconnected world. You don't have to stay in one country. Uh, so I really encourage you to outreach and be interactive. For very nominal fees, you are supporting all the work that feeds the international community and our global visual conversation. Think about subscribing to publications. Follow all of these different groups on social media, share their work, get newsletters, because you are a part and you are vital to the global conversation. So my work is all about concept, de concept development and as a curator, educator, and consultant, my medium is other people's creative process. I'm especially interested in how our own observations and awareness shows up in our work. It is why I created my concept-aware curriculum. It's because I believe as visual creatives, we have a responsibility to explore how we see and to understand why it matters. So I am really excited to introduce Sandy Haber-Fifield. And I can tell you that from the very beginning, a roomy quote kept rolling around in my mind, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But the quote is, the crack is where the light comes in. And I think that's an apt description of Sandy's work. Sandy uses photography as one tool in a kit of options of mediums and techniques, including collage, graphite, vellum, cutting, piercing, and other mark making. 
She plays, she explores and innovates with a purpose to expand vision and understanding. Her work, in my opinion, achieves a fertile, liminal space. Her constructions are a journal of sorts, a roadmap of her inquiry and engagement in ideas, materials, and all are grounded in the unexpected and serendipitous creative journey. Her work offers us, the viewers, a crack to enter and be illuminated. She will enlighten us as to her journey. However, from my immersion in her four decades explore, I would venture to say Sandy is driven by the haptic, meaning she has an intention to elicit a sense experience, to feel texture, to feel movement. She works to embed all of this in a still and inanimate object. It's a nonverbal or non-language-based communication. My description is that Sandy animates perception. We are the recipients of her courageous, organic, playful search for meaning. Sandy interprets experience and encounter. She translates emotion. In her process of transforming materials, and mediums, she delivers to us a vehicle to be transformed as well. Sandy, welcome. We will concentrate on your latest monograph where you see the cover right now, The Certainty of Nothing. However, I did want to give a sense of your evolutionary process. You have always been engaged in a conversation with that which lies outside the frame. So I'm going to move slowly through our PDF that has some examples of early work, but I'm going to begin by asking you to help us understand what drove your curiosity, your creative path to be outside the frame. Sid, thank you for that incredibly generous introduction. Um, I'm delighted to be here and you've had a wonderful roster of photographers and writers this fall and I'm thrilled to be amongst them. So thank you and thanks to everyone who's here to listen today. Um, it's a great question and um, I think that it's easiest for me to go back and share that my visual roots really began in Rochester in the late 70s. I was, um, I was at RIT working on my um, MFA and at the time there was a lot going on in the world of photography. Um, on the one hand, you know, in 1975, Will Jenkins had just done um, this, the um, new topographics and so, you know, as everyone knows, uh, the vernacular was uh, emphasized on one hand, but in Rochester, there was also a wonderful place called Visual Studies Workshop, which was founded by Nathan Lyons and his wife, Joan. And um, it was through visual studies 
that I was introduced to a number of photographers and how they intersected there, I don't really remember. Some of those people moved on to, new, to the program in New Mexico, but some names that are not, maybe not as high on the radar screen, like Robert Fichter and Robert Flick and Thomas Barrow, um, Heineken on the West Coast, all of those photographers, um, Betty Hahn, B. Nettles, those photographers really stepped out of the frame, so to speak. And I think um, they freed me in a way and made me feel that I wasn't restricted to the parameters of the medium being the frame and the shutter. So that expansion was illuminating to me. And um, Nathan Lyons uh, was a particular specific influence because um, in via Nathan, whether it's through his book, um, um, oh, why am I forgetting the name of it? It's all it's about like the notation, no notations in passing. So notations mm -hmm. in passing is a series of diptychs. And I think that was the first time that I really thought about what happens to an image when it's coupled with something else. Um, how does it change? Is it, is it colliding with something else? Is it harmonious with something else? How do those things speak to each other? And that conversation interested me from the beginning. And mm. so what you, Sib, talk about is these early iterations of my work in that vein. I have made um, many, many, many kinds of combined imagery from, mm -hmm. I did an entire book after the threshold that was based on a series of uh, four images in a row. Some were three, but the majority were four. I've made grids in my first book called Walking Through the World. There were grids in there, there were installations in there. Um, I have made in-camera manipulations, which went way back to the early 80s. So there's all, I draw now and add to the, the image making. Um, and the book was a whole other thing that we'll, I know we'll talk about. But mm -hmm. so, so it's very natural for me to play with the image. And it is my way of expressing what I'm seeing. Well, it's so interesting because um, I realize that the quote that I have up here actually refers to the latest monograph from another exhibition. Um, and, and I have some examples of your early work after this, but two things I want to say. So this is a uh, Brazilian um, proverb, um, soft water on hard stone hits until it bores a hole. And so that has to do, and we will talk more in depth on the, the uh, overarching uh, question or reflection of your latest monograph. But what's comical are two things. One is I found this quote, put it in the PDF, and then you mentioned to me that you had been to the exhibit. So I love the serendipity about that. But even though this speaks to your latest monograph, I, have, I am having an aha moment that you are the soft water on hard stone making a hole that lets the light in when you look at the arc of your work. Hmm. Well, that's very nice. <laughs> well, I hadn't, but I believe that I hadn't thought about it like that, but it is. I mean, I think once we get through looking at some of your older work and concentrating on the book, I am 
I don't need to be convinced. I mean, it's just a fact that you have laid a path that other people are picking up and taking further. So this, I never thought of it in that way uh, exactly till right now, but booyah, it's true. <laughs> and we'll talk about it and, um, and, you'll, and we'll see, because I think that's really true. But let's go back because this is, this is beginning work and you can, you can give us, this is the, um, from the work in um, Haiti and India, and you can give us a sense of what was happening here for you, because this is all in camera. So this goes way back. This is probably um, 1981. Um, when I finished school, I moved to New York and worked with the photographer Mary Ellen Mark. And I was fortunate to go with Mary Ellen on a trip to India. She was working on, she was making stills for a film called Heat and Dust. It was a merchant ivory film. And um, so I got to go on that journey and traveled quite a bit throughout northern India afterwards. I made a number of trips to Haiti as well at this time. And this, is, as Sib said, this was made in camera. This is made with film. Um, I am working with a camera where, I, and when you open up a camera, you see the lens, which is obviously a circle. If, and there are two structures on the side of the, of the lens that keep it into a square or a rectangle. I was using a plastic camera and I literally cut those, those pieces so that the light would spill throughout the film. So this, these were made with two and a quarter film. The image, there's probably five or six images in here. And then the film was probably seven or eight inches long. And I was printing these um, in an eight by 10 and larger, which is now a dinosaur. Nobody, you know, I had to practically give it away. Um, and these were printed in my home darkroom. I was squeegeeing these long prints on a bathroom wall. I mean, they were really um, done with uh, what I had but it was exciting for me at the time and it allowed for I think I think the important thing here is what these were after I think that you know we it, it's almost like a visual gestalt um, mm -hmm. that we're seeing mm -hmm. we, we don't see everything at once we see things in little little brief snippets um, I heard on a radio lab show once that the eye doesn't really stop. The eye is constantly in motion. Mm -hmm. So when we're perceiving our world, we're, we're catching all these different things at once. So not just what's in front of us, but, but all the things in our heads. And I think that this image was so about India for me, so about the wonder of the place, the craziness of the place. You walk down a street in Delhi and there's somebody walking with a cow, there's somebody with a donkey, there's somebody cleaning somebody's ears. You know, it's like, it's, it's wild. And yet there's this, this mystery there that is um, very much pervasive. So that's what this did for me. And mm -hmm. um, there well, were a number of images. They're on my website, early yeah. work under Indian Haiti. Yeah, beautiful. I have to laugh because you literally were letting the light in in this process, like quite, quite, quite literally. Um, 
when you also talk about perception, um, it makes me think of the Joel Meyerowitz quote that no two people in the same place see the same thing at the same time. And I think we forget that. So I talk a lot about um, impactful images and impactful images move your eye all over. Um, and, and you want new information in that. Right. Um, you know, information that's going to move us forward. So that's an important point to make. The other is this, um, the, the conversation that you have with your work, which you began right away in conversation with your work. Um, and I had another point, but I have forgotten it. So we'll see if it comes back up. Um, here's another example of early work. And um, you mentioned that you worked in grids, like your conversation was not only with the photograph and the frame, it was the conversation between two images. So these were a bit later um, after that work that was quite soft and they were a lot of work in India and Haiti. Uh, there was a wonderful man who had a Photoshop in, in New York. His name was, right. was Marty Forsher. And mm -hmm. Marty Forsher eventually built me a camera that allowed uh, that continuation of the frame to be my MO. And I worked with that for a long time. And those two are on my website in early work under appropriation. Um, then this is from uh, a book that I did in 2009 called Walking Through the World. And I, the grids were a continuation of what we we're just talking about of, of how one thinks. And this is a bit more narrative, a bit more specific. Um, this um, the, the middle image on the lower uh, row mm -hmm. is from an article in the Times about a sewing class that some women had in Ashkargar, Afghanistan. Mm. And earlier, just to flip back a little bit, you know, the... Um, there was a lot of appropriation going on in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, the pictures generation, you know, there was a, just, just something in the air, the zeitgeist in the air had a lot to do with appropriation. So I appropriated for a long time off of the television, off of a variety of other things. But this picture, so that, that lower image of the women with the sewing machine is someone else's picture that was in the times. Yeah. I took a sheet of acetate and I wrote about what I was, why I was so moved by that image. Um, he was, this teacher was killed on their way to class. Mm -hmm. And I wrote all this stuff that I was thinking about with of these women on the acetate. And then I added these other pictures, um, perhaps the, the magenta fabric is, you know, the rip in the culture, the speeding car, uh, the hope of the light, the war-torn wall. So all these things to me came together and it was a more narrative piece than, than some of the other work that mm -hmm. may veer mm -hmm. in the abstract. Mm -hmm. And we're moving on, we're moving forward. <laughs> Lineations, yes. Okay, so this is a big leap over to lineations, which I think I started in uh, 2013. And there were two bodies of work of lineations. One became, uh, lineations two became a bit more um, sculptural. Um, and, you know, I think when a photographer goes out in the world, the photographer is 
going out and saying this was here. I photo I saw this, I photographed this, I bring this back into the world, this was here. The artist, since you know the time of Moscow, is going into the cave or we're going wherever we are and we're saying, I was here. This is my mark. I'm making my mark on this piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I'm making my mark in this clay. And it has long been my interest in those two ideas talking to each other. What, what the, the, the making does to what was there. Um, so, I'm so glad you said that <laughs> as articulately as you just did, because, um, oh, thanks, because um, you really boiled it down. And I have a question about this coming up later, but this idea of the differentiation between a photographer and an artist. And I love that, that frame, like that very succinct, this was here. I was here, right? And yeah, and, and putting those combining. things into play, like I think it's 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 my role. Um, and there's a lot of different kinds of photography that I so much appreciate, but it's mm -hmm. my role to put these things into play, to activate them, mm -hmm. um, and to yeah, just find my place with these things. So this this one on the left, um, well, not only am I out in the environment shooting, but then I'm taking things into the environment to shoot as well. And adding to that image in the studio, the one on the, the right, um, I photographed, I lived in Connecticut for about 30 years and uh, my husband's an architect and uh, we, our kitchen, it wasn't a big kitchen, but it had beautiful light and the light from the outside came in and there were, you could look out of one window through a courtyard and into the window, you know, in another part of the house. And I love that outside in, and I guess as you refer to that liminal space in between. So that, that piece on the right, and I made many, I probably over the course of two summers, made many pieces in that kitchen. And um, as you can see, there's some vellum covering it over that one can look through and look out of at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a little bit of drawing on the bottom of the one on the left, and there's a little bit of drawing extending that vine the one on the right. So it's really that, that play with the, the space and yeah, the mutability of the process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the inside and the out. Mm -hmm. I chose this one because of, of all that are, are in um, lineations, because it, it had somewhat of a different feel, but it's interesting because I think it speaks to what we see in the book. Mm. Uh, but this seems somewhat a departure. It kind of is. One of my students um, made a whole body of work uh, where she inverted, and I was always I was always a little leery of, of that work because I was worried uh, that it might be a gimmick. But it worked for what she was working on, and it made sense. But I just wanted to try it one day. What what happens? Like I I never really used it. I don't I don't play with Photoshop that much. I use similar skills that I had um, in the dark room. 
via Photoshop. But to me, it's just a very similar tool. I know that it is incredibly expansive, but I, I don't have the skill set to tap it in that way. But um, so I did that here. And I think it, the reason I kept it was because of what it did to the whites and how it brought forth the geometry of these pieces and allowed them to speak to each other further. And there's some drawing on the bottom of the right side. Those little tiny, tiny marks are, are pencil and wax pastel. Um, hard to see here. The piece on the left, the only thing I've added to it, there, there, the, there's a right-hand bottom corner and there's a little piece of vellum in there, but there's no drawing. The one on the right has the little bit of drawing on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And again, the playfulness is so key. And, and being willing to not know. Um, and often, you know, the, the mistakes that happen, I think often I have um, been uh, a potter in another life. And I love working on the wheel and you work so hard to get this shape. And then you have to go through the glazing process, which can blow up your piece or all kinds of things. And I had this vase that I made that I was so happy with, and I wanted to cover it in one color. And I held it and put my hand right into the paint thinking like I'm covering the whole thing. But of course, when I took it out, my handprint or parts of my hand, it was actually my finger, just the pads of my finger. And at first I was so angry. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. And then it became this integral part <laughs> because, you know, I had one idea and, and another idea came. And, and I think that willingness to to play and to mm -hmm. experiment, to work with your mistakes. I mean, that's actually how so many things were invented. Um, you know, the rayogram was a spilled thing happening between Lee Miller uh, and Man Ray. It right. was it was an accident. Um, okay, so turning to this uh, latest accomplishment. Um, this is such a great slide because it brings in, it's kind of um, a mirror of a mirror. Like when you're in the book, um, you experience these in, in one fashion. Um, but I love looking at this next to each other because it echoes your grid and the image talking to the image. So it's like a very, um, you know, I look at it like you hit a lot of notes with your work and this is showing how fluid it is. Like, like you're really keeping us on our toes to understand where you're taking us because you keep changing the vibe or the mood or the color palette. And, and so I'm glad that you put these together like this. Um, and let's, let's get a sense of how this came together. Um, it's historically a very specific place and encounter that you had. And I'm curious, I mean, I know some of the backstory, but you can tell us what you would like about it. But I also am wondering if you had a visceral reaction when you were there, did this question of what you were looking at come together over time. Like I was trying to think, when did this engage you? Yeah. Like 
mm, I have to go figure this out or like, you know what I'm saying? It, I don't know whether you knew when you were there and photographing mm-hmm. or not. So it's a good question. Um, I was there as a tourist and um, when I got to Angkor, I, I had no idea how I would respond. I certainly did not go there to document Angkor. Mm-hmm. I was simply there as a tourist. Mm-hmm. And I hate the word awesome, but it was awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It was remarkable in its construction of art and, and construction itself. Um, so Angkor, just super briefly, was built in the 12th century. I mean, there were, th- uh, I think, something like 300,000 people who made it. They built it using elephants. I mean, the place is just extraordinary. And I didn't think I'd be so moved. Um, so I took a lot of pictures. And as you know, my, my work happens in the studio. So I didn't really know how this was going to unfold. And as I started to, like, like anybody work for me, I don't begin with an idea and then go shoot. So I'm shooting and things begin to gel, begin to coalesce, you start to read your images or if, I mean, I still make contact sheets. Um, I read my contact sheets. I start to see what's happening. Um, I mean, in many ways, there's a few stages of the image making for, I think most photographers, for me, it might be a bit extended, but you take the picture, then you, and, and hopefully it's what's in your head, maybe it's not, but you get back and you make this, this print and there you have this two-dimensional object. Is that giving you what you started with? And for me, the third part of the process is the, organ- the most organic, as you described before, the most playful part. And that's where I add things, I change things. That's where it, it intersects and it, for me, becomes what I want to say. And, and fourth, I guess, is that that threshold of where is it art or isn't it? You know, what, what's the viewer seeing in this? And, and there's, there's something cinematic in that, too. I mean, as you move forward to the piece, how does it change? Um, how does it, again, mutate into something else? So um, this, this took time. And um, it took time uh, to just see how it was going to evolve. And... Um, it was super organic, I guess. Um, so it was this idea of the history of, of Angkor, the Hindu myths that were important here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the gods. There are 54 gods and demons that flank the entrance to Angkor Tom. And we can talk in a little bit about why that number 54 is important, but it's a hugely important number in the culture. Um, so these gods and demons, there's a little bit of a story and I won't belabor it, but um, the gods and demons, this, the, the story goes that they're, they're churning this, this ocean of milk and they're churning this ocean of milk because there's an elixir of immortality and they're fighting each other. And so Vishnu comes in and Vishnu comes in and says, you know, you have to work together. You have to figure this out. And so they're churning the ocean with a five-headed snake. 
and they they do come to terms with this and they're out, able to uh, keep from emitting toxins. I mean, that's what could have been the bad outcome is that these horrible toxins could have been emitted into the environment. Well, I couldn't help but think of when I was doing this, we had we were in the middle of the Trump administration. I couldn't help but think about the Paris Accord and everything that was going on in our world and the destruction of this of, of Angkor itself, the demise of it really had to do with monsoons and drought. So this this story had great relevance um, mm-hmm. to me, and and I thought also was you know uh, worth telling, and and that's kind of how it began. Mm-hmm. Um, as I learned more, and I learned more about what I was making, mm-hmm. um, it 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 showed itself to me. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's so interesting. Um there's a component where you bring in research, right? And you bring in like different different points that lead you to other places. Uh, you're always making correlations. Well, you know, hopefully uh, there's reasons for what you do in the work. Um, otherwise it's a little, you know, it's, it's empty, I guess. Um, I, I hope that it, that comes across that there's reasons for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, yeah, these are, these are straight collages. Uh, I actually, I, I, there's some graphite uh, drawing on this one. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, the flora there was quite gorgeous. Um, and maybe you wonder about that color blue. Um, there's a lot of blue tones in this work, a lot of dark tones and um, blue in these deities represented power. Um, so, um, and bravery and, and blue has so many connotations in our culture from, from jazz to Picasso to, um, you know, all kind, Eve's Klein's blue. Um, so there's a, there's a million connotations of it. I think um, Rebecca Solnit has an interesting quote about, about blue. She says, um, the color, it, it blue is the color of there from here, the color of where you are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also an apt quote with regard to Angkor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why the imagery, you know, those stones, that God, that image of the gods and demons, those are stone color. Um, mm-hmm. So I did take the liberty of transforming that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that you brought that up. I, first of all, I adore Rebecca Soltman. She gives us words for all these things, similar to Bell Hooks, who we just lost yesterday. Um, and without irony, I am dressed completely in blue <laughs> <laughs> today, but I love the tones that you went through, the blues and, and there's some lavenders and the rich, rich colors. Um, there's something that I saw in your artist statement on work that was somewhat I don't know about the making of bird songs emerge if it was parallel to when you were making this, but you wrote um, transforming the representation of the perceivable world to slow the act of looking. And I think that that is happening in this work as well. 
that you 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 really do play with time though i wouldn't i wouldn't lead with that i i because i in when i look at your work i wouldn't lead that that time is such an element but honestly uh, again it's an aha as i'm talking to you that it is it's a i mean it very much is here in this obviously because of the historical nature of what you're doing and bringing it to the 21st century literally invert those right 12th century to 21st century you're seeing a correlation of um of experience there but it's this idea too that to slow the act of looking um, is, is a gift, you know, and this is actually the point that I thought of before when you made me think of it, that you engage with your work without a hurry and you are in conversation with your work, which I talk about all the time. So you're slowing down and engaging in that process, um, is so helpful. And then I'm thinking about one of the ways you work with time is that you may have taken an image and then when you're in your studio, it's a different time and you're blending those times uh, as well. There was also a lot of time related to Angkor. I mean, it was, it, it met its demise in the 1400s, but then it was covered over in jungle for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it wasn't, it wasn't rediscovered until I think somewhere around the 1860s. And that's kind of amazing. Um, totally. So I think part of the darkness of this imagery is that, and is that parallel to today and that this could happen to us again. Mm -hmm. um, and what are we doing um, are things that, you know, I'm not explicitly dealing with in the work, but, but it, it are there things I thought about in making Absolutely. these images and these are intimate pieces. These, well, this one's probably 24 by, no, this is like third. Yeah. 33 by 24, but mm -hmm. some of them are small and intimate. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> How and where in your process did Susan Minot's poem present itself? So um, I wanted some writing to accompany the book. I wasn't sure um, how I wanted to go about that, but I thought of Susan's writing. I, one, I love her, her work, but I thought of her because I think much of her writing is about what it doesn't say. It's frequently about relationships, but it's the words that are not said that meant something to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I reached out to Susan and um, she was great. I mean, she, she said she didn't have time to write specifically for the book, but she sent me, I mean, she was amazing. She sent me like 15 poems. And as soon as I read, read Perseverance, I said, this is it, you know, the, the, the title of it, everything about it, um, even though it might be referring to a relationship, um, that's, that poem speaks to me. Um, I mean, I can yeah. read it. I can read it. I don't have the book in front of me right now, but um, I, 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 I do have the it's book. It's only like um, 
eight lines or so. Yeah, it's it's rather short. I can read it. Um, and then I, I, you made me think of something else. So it, the perseverance. It's by Susan Minot. My thin slivers keep collapsing, like ladders all unstrung, thrilling at first in the scaling, then killing in the falling till I splinter in a heap of razors, quaking from the spill, clueless how to sew myself back up together. Though we have been here before, I know somehow I will. And it's so interesting because when you were describing um, the rediscovery um, of this um, whole covered awe-inspiring uh, experience, there's two things that are going on in that, right? That even in some of your darker work, you're re referencing the fact that this was unseen and kind of, if you want to think about it, like below the ground, but there was still change happening. Like it's the kind of thing that happens, right? In winter, we're not seeing things, but they're actually happening so that we have a spring or whatever. And so what I was thinking with your work when you were talking about the dark, it is this idea of the darkness and the light and holding that dichotomy of that, you know, the biblical saying that there's light in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. Like, how do you hold both truths and it is that perseverance side of hope or resilience or of, you know, not a fait accompli. We don't know, but it's, it's quite the, you know, I wasn't thinking about the paradox, but you're reflecting it. Right, right. Um, yeah, and I think that it, maybe it's apt to also think about that quote that you and I both saw in the New Museum Triennial show. Um, they used the same word, perseverance, and um, the, the wall text I've got in front of me says, the title speaks to ideas of resilience and perseverance and the impact that a discreet gesture can have over time. So yeah, yes. I think... Um, it was apropos. And, and so Susan's, mm -hmm. Susan's work just like hit a chord and I knew it was right. And um, I worked with a graphic designer to, um, who was wonderful, Pamela Hovland. I worked with Pamela to, um, to really figure out how the language would course through the book. I knew it had to not just be the, the eight lines in the beginning of the book or the eight lines at the end of the book, I knew that the words would um, move along with the imagery in a beautiful way. And Pamela made that come to life. Mm -hmm. I have to say, um, I had so much fun. Um, you might've seen, I did an Instagram video um, or I did a video and used it on Instagram where I brought this book with me to the park that's near my house. Oh. And, and, and it was funny because I, I, um, I wanted to do this and then I could watch the sun and I'm like, Oh, I've got to go before I lose the sun. And I went to a place 
sun on the book and there was also wind and when I got to these pages it was so beautiful because they're so light and they as they the wind it also caught the sun and it's animated and it was it was so beautiful I was I was really excited about this part and I want to show I think yeah here's how you worked with the text which right. I thought and was just, really exciting and just briefly those pages right before um mm-hmm. that that those so those that leaf, there's three or four pages of that leaf and it's we shifted the paper there so it's on super mm-hmm. thin almost tissue like paper yeah yeah um, it is and the idea of that was that these these leaves were huge at Angkor. They were laying on the ground um, at the at the site, and I mean, I think they're like twelve inches in length. Those leaves. So I wanted the feeling of the the heaviness of the leaf, but at the same time, there was a delicacy to them falling through the air and falling on the ground. So that was the reason for the tissue like paper. And it was Pamela's great thought to insert that uh, a little bit so that you could still see the image that came after it. And so I love what she did there and and how uh, the image after it comes through. Mm-hmm. And even how your offset pages interact with the very the right. image all the way behind. And I was thinking with your text that you brought in this really rich color on on purpose. So did you discuss this with Pamela in terms of color? So the color came from um, the color that I put in the image that's further along. Remember, you asked me yes. the two images that are side by side. There's a tiny sliver of red, red. in those two images. Mm-hmm. So that red, um, I put that red into the image because I was thinking about the Khmer Rouge and communism in in. Cambodia, mm-hmm. um, what was going on in Vietnam, which was closer to what my experience as someone who grew up in the 60s, 70s mm-hmm. um, knew, knew about. And so the red comes from the image itself. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the exact red, but it's close. And the font, um, uh, Pamela could have spoken to that better than I could, but it's, I forget the title. The font is listed in the book. Yeah. It's a, a like new, it. it's a contemporary German font, I believe. And it's mm-hmm. very, it's got a very block feel to it. And, and the reason we chose that was because of the um, structures at, at Angkor. It felt mm-hmm. like it fit the structures. Yeah. It, it's actually called Danube is a very handsome name and I think it's beautiful because it feels like it um, combines something classic but is also contemporary Uh Uh Um, I really appreciate um, that and and you know people spark memories and it just happens Uh, but you're mentioning red and I was a middle schooler when my older brother was drafted and was in Vietnam and I was learning to knit and I, my brother and I were inseparable and I used to connect with him in all these ways. In fact, 
I was, I, I won my first camera, a brownie by playing cards with my dad and, and getting <laughs> enough money. And I would photograph everything, my new Easter shoes, my braces, blah, blah, blah. And my, my, my brother and I had this really interesting correspondence. So of course, when I learned to knit, I made my brother a bright red scarf, oh. wool scarf, to Vietnam. And I was really upset when he came home without it. <laughs> and I was like, what happened to the scarf? And he was like, oh, I, I used it as a pillow. And meanwhile, I'm thinking as I grew up, like, okay, a red scarf to a tropical area. Like it was just such a wrong thing, but you made me think of this. I hadn't thought of that in a long time, my red scarf. Um, and I never knit again until I made my own pussy hat. And I, I'm not a good knitter. That scarf was like this. Um, these are beautiful again, and, uh, and more play on texture and layers. And the wall, this is a piece I haven't even framed yet, but it's so hard to put together that I don't know how I'll do it. It'll probably have pins in it somewhere, but, um, yeah, <laughs> there was these bad, there was this bass relief, bass relief in, in, at Angkor Wat, I'm not Angkor Tom, that was the story of, um, this, the, the sea of milk, the churning of the sea of milk. And this was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Wow. How that's really nice. I, I didn't know that part. And there's the serpent. That's one of the images of the five headed serpent. And, and it's, you know, I combined it with imagery of those leaves on the, and the ground and the earth of, uh, that surrounds Angkor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just love how these drop in. Well, that's all my graphic designer. I mean, she was, we really had a wonderful collaborative experience together and I just loved working with her and she was just fantastic that way. And, you know, crossing the gutter in this book was the, a lot of my images we really need to be, we needed to be very careful about where the gutter was. And, and she was great with all of those issues. Yeah, it's so subtle. Um, but it's also really similar in terms of the poem and your work were really in a bit of a dance. Um, and what I like about it is that there's this um, economy of words, uh, mm -hmm. but a huge impact. And you're by separating the poem the way that you did, it's like a, a Hansel and Gretel moment. You're like taking a, a, a bite of a piece of bread and then you find another like, but you don't know where you're going. It's, it's quite interesting how you blended them. So I love the tonality we, of this. When mm. we use some selective varnish in the book, uh, there's about uh, seven or eight pages where we varnished it. And I did not feel like I had to mimic the original pieces. So all of my pieces are one of a kind, almost all of them. I mean, 99%. So these are not, you know, it's all done by hand. So in the book, I felt like the book had to be a fresh experience because I couldn't, I didn't want to just mimic what the pictures were. So for example, if you look at the middle triangle in that piece, that part is varnished in other ones. Um, you know, we chose other parts to, to have the shiny varnish, 
but they weren't necessarily the same parts that were collaged in the, as in the original pieces. So I felt like I needed that liberty to create yet another, uh, you know, uh, the book as a piece, as opposed to it being um, an exact replica of what the piece was. Or even a replica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Here's the red. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's another one, that, uh, it's sister that sits beside it, which I think is the inverse of part of that, that cut out um, in the, mm -hmm. on the top. Mm -hmm. So two, let's see. I'm just going to see if, yeah. So this actually mirrors the work from lineations when you played with the inversion no, inspired by your student. Yeah, 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 cool. I love those threads. Um, there's a little bit of silver leaf on there, which I used also on the eyes of the gods in that big god mm -hmm. image. And those gods, by the way, were like 20 feet high. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Yeah, so this has some graphite, a little bit of, um, of silver leaf, and um, there's collage on that left side. There's a square put in there, that's, and the, that's all hand applied. And this piece, I, I can't remember how big it is, maybe... 16 by 20, 18 by 22, I don't remember. I, I feel as if you're bringing us, um, you're wading us into water almost. <laughs> this one really reminds me of your lineations abstraction, which is why I did that mm -hmm. call and response. And there's not a lot of pieces that are abstract in the book. Um, I think that the left side references the jungle and the right side left references water or the flow of water. Um, and it was a city that had a lot to do with its hydraulic system. Um, and that hydraulic system failed in a big way. Um, so, and the jungle took over. So I think that's a little bit of what I was referencing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, before we go into this section, just so that I can uh, get this off of uh, my mind, in terms of how we've been talking about that original quote and the new museum show uh, that referenced this idea of perseverance and, and as I said, hope, but I just wanted to read a quote because you read a piece from it and I have another quote uh, from the new museum show. It said, their works exalt states of transformation, calling attention to the malleability of structures, porous and unstable surfaces, and the fluid and adaptable potential of both technological and organic mediums. Through their reconfigurations and reimaginings, we are reminded of not only our temporality, but also our adaptability. And I felt like that really spoke to that dichotomy that we were talking about. Um, and then I want to let you introduce this whole other explore, which really, again, you know, I don't, it's really wonderful to be able to look over the arc of a career and see these reverberations like this does 
bring us back to the second slide that we had that was in a grid that, you know, you reintroduce and re-explore um, some practices. Right, so the grid is here really to show the viewer that there's 18. In the book, there are, they, these are meant to be seen as single images, but in a grid. Um, and um, so that's why we, we put the 18 here, but in the book, they're one by one. So these images are all of the um, same, it's the same image in every single one of the 18. It is of, again, of that bas relief. And, I manipulated those and took parts of them. And as you are unable to see right here, and I think Sib, you have one more slide. Um, these are punctured. So the number 18, as I mentioned before, the number, the number nine is really important in, in Hindu culture. It's the one, it's the end of the decimal system, and it's also a self-referential number. So nine times two is 18, eight and one is nine, etc. You can do that with any digit in nine. So that was the reason why I chose 18 of these. And every one, I felt like I made my contemporary response to this wall with my collage. And I punctured these images because I wanted to make my mark with those artisans' marks. Um, their marks, as I said, there were like 300,000 people working on this city and it was just gorgeous. And I, I think by, again, slowing down, and these are not big, these are 1722. Um, I like bore, the, you can, maybe viewers can't quite tell, but there are holes on the bottom right side of this image. So those holes were done one by one by one by one. And here we are again in the book, how can I show, because these are pictures of an original. So I'm already one degree away from the original and then two degrees away when you're printing the book. So what we did was we made these laser cuts in about five of the images in the book. And you can see on the left side, so the, the page preceding the left-hand side. So what number page is that? That's, was, that's 96. 95. That was yeah, 96. That's 96. So, Right, so on page 95, there were holes that looked exactly like that. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the reason behind it. And that's the reason behind the, the number. Um, mm -hmm. And um, again, I think it's me as an artist saying, here's my mark um, on their mark um, and trying to make a connection to those artisans. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, I, I get it now and I get the pattern now. This is the page before and I can see it. Oops. But I don't think you can see it via yeah. my camera, but it's for you. Yeah. 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 I see it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So that was the number. And so then that nine, as I said before, those gods and demons that flank the entrance, there were 54, five and four, nine, you know, there was reason for what they did with that number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How you mentioned that it was a Hindu. Did I just miss what you just said about that? That yeah. 54 is. So there were 54 gods and 54 demons at the entrance to the, uh, to Angkor Tom. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I assume that they chose 54 because five and four is nine. And this number nine was such an important number in the culture. Got it, seeing the circles of it. Um, nine is also an important number in uh, the Aruban culture and the Orisha. Um, so it's interesting how things reverberate, right? Um, across culture. Let's see if um, I love this. And this is actually a quote from your words in the book, um, because I think that, um, hold on, I've got to move something to be able to see that. Um, I thought this was very poetic and profound. These are rocks that speak to the origins of all rocks, stones that somehow I thought that was just beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, the, the next line of that is um, they are proof of how civilizations came into being then as now there was certainty and nothing, but still they persisted. Mm -hmm. So that's where mm -hmm. the title, how I got the title. So interesting about that, because that's so circular. You're saying that this led to um, the uncertainty of nothing, the perseverance. I mean, you're really circling and circling. So did your writing come and then out of that, the title? Yes. And do you, cause I think people get caught on that. So you really didn't have a title until the title <laughs> showed itself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah that's right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's so interesting because I work with a lot of individuals and I, I constantly talk about the ability to keep your focus on the process and the product will take care of itself. And, and there's such an inclination. It's an uncomfortable place to be. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And yet, if you do, you get that what I was mentioning in the intro, the serendipity of it and, and things you couldn't have thought of and uh, yeah, being patient and, and that slowing down. Well, it circles back one question I have and, and we're gonna open up for, for folks to share questions, but um, you had mentioned Robert Heineken being somewhat of an influence and he described, because he was interested in what's outside the frame, he was interested in, in different processes and materials. Um, um, but he described himself as a para photographer. Um, and he said that his work stood beside or beyond traditional notions of the medium. So I'm curious as to how you describe yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm a photographer. You know, I, I, for, there were a number of years where I, uh, I had trouble with photography. Like I, I couldn't make pictures for a while. Uh, my children were young and there was about five years where I was just hitting the wall and I, I couldn't shoot. And I painted in that time and I painted a lot and they were really bad. And they ended up in my basement and I threw them all away eventually. But um, I learned a lot. And I went back to photography and I said, oh, phew, I'm home. I'm a photographer um, and all of these pictures that are in this book begin with the photograph. The drawing never comes first. The photograph is my, my source. 
and mm. I, I expand from there. So that's what I call myself. That's great. I was real. I was really, really curious. Um, <laughs> truly. And then there was one um, other question, if I can sneak in one more. Um, also, what you write about when you're talking about the myth, um, the Hindu myth, um, you say something like the story says or teaches us when a great power, the elixir is unleashed from the world. Uh, so when a great power, the elixir is unleashed from the world, unexpected consequences can come in its wake. And I have to say that that I, I, I was curious and, and interested to learn that you were seeing this and some of the correlations had to do with the administration and, and basically us not taking care of each other, getting out of the Paris agreement and seeing all those correlations. But I have to say that it made me think of COVID in mm, terms sure. of this. Yeah. Um, I didn't write that when we were in the midst of, I wrote it before, but, um, but sure, I think it's 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 not irrelevant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was something else that you wrote about that you um, you know you you differentiate and say I'm not of the culture or the philosophical or religious background of of Angkor. However, you too, uh, I don't know what the word I would be uh, to use to describe it, but you you interact with or think of or engage with the apocalyptic or the possibility of apocalyptic um, and that sense of the enormity of the cosmos. I thought that was profound. Thanks. Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, yeah, those are my words from the essay. And um, I think that's where we all unite. You know, it, it's all bigger than us. And um, uh, this was one part of it. And I think there's, there was a lot for me to learn from this place. Yeah, it was so interesting. I have to, I took a photograph of a saying that I read. Um, I have a book of um, Indian masters. Let's see if it's, it's unfortunately not in, uh, it's actually quite fuzzy, but it here, it says all our poetry, philosophy, um, I can't read this because I didn't focus, but it says art, oh, science, art, and religion um, serve to embrace unto our understanding the spheres. Oh my gosh. Basically, like the spheres that are vast and beyond us. And it, it just, it was interesting that I read it this morning and I thought, wow, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so interesting. So let's open up. I want to, I think that, yeah, that is my last slide and I'm going to unshare so that we have a better view of each other. And I uh, don't read the chat, but anyone because um, I'm concentrating elsewhere, but um, let's open up. We have enough people that you can unmute yourself and, and talk to Sandy directly, ask, ask her your questions. And that always takes a couple of minutes. <laughs> Maybe I talked enough that <laughs> there are none, but... Happy to so answer. In the meantime, while people are formulating their questions, uh, there was one question about where was the best place to buy your book. 
and I did share the link to your website. Is that in fact the best place? That's the best place. I mean, photo I may still have some copies, but I don't know. Hi, I'm, Hi. I'm the one who asked about buying your book and I went on your Instagram page and I saw a link and I bought the book. So, oh, that's very so happy. nice. Thank you very I much. Do a lot of, I do some work with uh, collage and uh, double exposure and that kind of thing. And you really did give me a lot of inspiration. So I oh. appreciate your talk very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting because I get the sense that there are um, people listening that really work with materiality. So I'm curious that um, I, 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 of your journey in, I mean, I wonder if that five-year time of working in paint um, allowed you to be a little braver in other mediums. I think it certainly opened me up um, to other possibilities. I was connecting imagery even then, uh, working between canvases. Um, I, I think just learning a, a different medium is um, uh, informative. And it, it um, I definitely came back to photography refreshed and had new ideas. So. I think those things stay with you. Um, I think you've got this little doctor's bag that you always carry around and, um, and more and more things go in there and whether you use them with one body of work or another, they come back. Um, and I think over the many, many years I've been putting a camera in my hand, I see, I, and even though my bodies of work may look very different, I think that there are threads there that, connect all those bodies of work and, and it's those tools that allow the connections. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 it's part of what I love about my ability as I'm going to get ready to, to host someone. I really do feel like I roll around in your work and, and being the person looking at it from this vantage point, um, you see the threads and you can see what happened. Like even as we talked today, I see more correlations. So it's really fun. And I do think this book in particular is one that you will have a different experience each time you come back to it. You'll see something else and see something more, um, which I think is always really exciting. And when I teach Concept Aware, um, I often encourage people to explore outside their comfort zone and in other mediums. And especially, you know, you, like you mentioned the note of the cinematic in your work. I mean, not only mark making, I mean, dance, I mean, music and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, here you're blending in poetry. Um, there's so many ways that we can can lean into other mediums. Um, you know, Twyla Tharp has a great book called The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It for Life. Do you know that book? I use it all the time and it's yeah. on my reading list. And That's I do, great. yeah, I do all her things in terms of, she calls it scratching. Yeah. And she's literally like, take any, 
not only is it the whole idea of scratching is basically exploring, but it's the kind of thing that you can do anywhere and any time because we're, the possibilities are limitless, right? So I saw a body of work at Paris Photo that was this person's kitchen table and it was that kitchen table in a study of light. And it was a beautiful and very large body of work from one place. Uh Um, So the idea that one medium definitely influences, it, it expands you and you do bring it back and you do integrate it. But I want to see if anyone else, I see some hands. Great. Thank you. I have a question. Um, Cindy, I show your after the threshold work to my students um, every semester in a photo two class and have them make their triptychs. We only do three usually. Um, And I I show the work and then they say, you know, I'm not sure how she actually does this. If it's just goes through her, you know, catalog of images and just finds things that speak together. Can you speak to that process about how those come together a little bit more and yeah, I think with any of my work, it starts from one, you know, one of them says something to me that um, I want to deal with. There you are. <laughs> um, and um, I just go from there and I always put them up on my wall. I don't put them up on a screen. I think that that's really a p- big part of my um uh, studio practice is that I, I definitely work with prints. So, uh, and I think I do that with this little class I teach too, is that moving pictures around. And like I said, in the very beginning, and what I learned from so much from Nathan is the impact of one image on the other. So I shift those things around until they sing. And, and as soon as they do, then at that body of work, those images were made on one sheet of paper. So I set myself up with a specific paradigm that I stuck to and just said, I'm only going to do four pictures. Four, by the way, is much more difficult um, than three, not just by one, but much more. Um, I think three has the, you know, is the odd number. So it's, it's easier and it's just the structure is easier. Um, But four was a challenge and I wanted them to sit a certain way on the page and that's how I make them. Yeah. So it's just just whatever you, you didn't go out to take pictures for that series or did you? I mean, were they just again? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was shooting a lot during that, the making of those images. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, I mean, sometimes I'll go through my archive, but I won't go out and shoot the whole piece. So like image A, I'm not going out and saying, oh, I need this. And I'm going to shoot that. I'm out shooting and things coalesce in the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to quote you on, I shift them till they sing. <laughs> I I will credit you, but that's an awesome one. And it makes me think of when we interviewed um, Odette England and her body of work for Dairy Character was on her walls for a decade. So I think that's an important thing. And that's another thing that I tell uh, students sometimes is just put those pictures up on the wall and you, you, um, I don't know. I think they become a part of your psyche when you are looking at them every day. And also when you go back and you have some distance, 
Um, if you can go back uh, a week later, I mean, Winogrand, what did, I think it was Winogrand who said he didn't even process this film for a year. Mm -hmm. um, you have another vision. You really look at it with a bird's eye perspective instead of being so close to something. So mm -hmm. for me, that, that helps. Also, another artist to look into that does that very, very beautifully is Matt Eck, E-I-C-H. I, I interviewed Matt a long time ago uh, for the photo book book group. And sometimes his work is in a, in, a, in a place for six or seven years, and then he pulls it out and engages in it. Wow. Um, he's patient. And, yeah, very, very patient. And he's also very generous in, in telling you about how he, he does that. I think the same uh, that I, th I would say you are generous, uh, Sandy, and I think of Odette. Odette's issue for the dairy character was knowing the work was important, but not knowing the frame or the entry point. And then she got it and then it coalesced. And I think that entry point is a really important part too. So I saw another hand up. Who was that? Hi, Marcy. Hey, good to see you. We miss you. <laughs> <laughs> I drive by Crawford Street all the time and think Sandy uh, was there. Ah, uh, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually had Sandy's kids when I taught elementary school very briefly. So um, it's interesting for me to see the evolution of multiple images side by side and then them sort of sliding together and becoming different layers as I had seen initially with lineations and then with this body of work. And so what was, you know, what was your prompt? Where did, where did you feel you wanted to start doing that? I, I love this, where, part, by the way. Wait, where I wanted to start doing the work that I did for certainty or? Well, I think, you know, I sort of saw the transition of these very square images um, from the others where you had triptychs and the uh -huh. four uh -huh. images side by side. And then it's, almost as if they kind of came together and started overlapping instead of relating to each other side by side there was a, a dimensionality to it and the translucency and so you know i'm wondering what the prompt was or what kind of pushed you in that direction um, well so i think um you know in some regards there's no such thing as one body of work separate from another it's mm -hmm. it's all on a continuum and um for me anyway, that's, that's how I work. And if I feel like I've done something, I am trying to play with it and push it further. So it's really about challenging myself and trying to, yes, I could go back to X, Y, and Z and continue that, but will I be excited to make those pictures? And it's one way of working. I mean, look at, I mean, she's an extraordinary artist. Look at Agnes Martin, who <clears throat> made those lines her entire life. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of artists who work in the same vein throughout a lifetime, but it's, I've always needed to, kind of shift and um it comes from play and it comes from pushing it and thinking about it and reading and then maybe i discover something but can i can i do that over and over and over again you know making the one piece is uh, sometimes a fluke 
um, sometimes uh, you get lucky and, and then, but it's, but it's creating it over and over where the, where the work is, I guess. So I don't know if I answered your question. Right No, And it's, this is beautiful. And I love the way you sort of carried over a lot of that feeling into the book itself in this particular case, you know, with the layers of the book and the, you know, the materiality where you're punching through some of the images. I think that's just brilliant. So oh, thank you. I'm adding it to my list of books that I need to <laughs> <laughs> instantly <laughs> take care. And it's good to see you. Thanks. Nice to see you, Marcy. That's so fun. I saw another hand and I'm not sure if it's still up. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Sandy. <laughs> I, can you talk a little bit more about how you break the form or the frame? And you do it in subtle ways, but I'm wondering can you do how you, you envision or if you're experimenting on really breaking beyond. There's still a formality and a, and a um, to or formal intent to how you frame those things that you've broken out of the frame. And I'm just they're on the wall or in a book. Do you envision doing something even beyond that? Or does that give you enough flexibility within that? Because I know that you also appreciate certain constraints that then can contain the process. And you're not going, oops, willy-nilly all over, which is well, never. <laughs> like I said to Carolyn, I had set myself up with a specific paradigm when I made the pictures and after the threshold. So I said, I'm going to do this. And that's the only way I'm going to work until I'm done. I'm done um, working through that idea and done with how it serves my image making process. So uh, if you're referring to lineations, I think that though going out of the frame, I take my cues from the image. So if there's in many of those, it's, it's very natural extension of the frame and um, it's, it's kind of automatic. Um, and they just flow or they don't. Um, and again, it, you go back to the, I go back to those words of uh, thinking about how images come together, are they colliding or are they harmonious, you know, um, and, and that too comes into play. And all the formal elements, I mean, the color and the lines and the, the empty spaces are as important as the filled spaces. So it's all about how the formal come together with whatever content may be in those images. So interesting. So a couple of things. I love that the formal engaging with the content, but um, what you're describing in terms of threshold is giving yourself parameters and then exhausting an idea within those parameters, um, right. which makes me think of um, Arno Minkinen's work, where he definitely leads with these parameters. It's his body physically naked, usually, I think always in the landscape. And um, he has 60 years of work right now. His last book is that retrospective wow. 60 years of work of those parameters leading. So an idea that just can get, mm -hmm. you know, looked at and looked at. And it's so funny. Thank you, Dawn, for asking a question. Cause if you didn't, I was going to ask you like, okay, I know you've got a question. <laughs> And it's, yeah, 
Yeah, I, it was really funny. It was so, yeah, I'm glad that you asked that. And yeah, I, I like the way that you asked, is there enough, is there enough flexibility? And I think um, in the, uh, in showing the work as a photograph and in utilizing it in a book. And, and what's really interesting is I think about your answer, Sandy, is yes, because you are getting where you need to with those mediums. And, um, and I love that you were like, I'm a photographer, I'm home, you know, you found enough room in, in, in this space. And actually what you referred to too in your question, Dawn, was how constraints, parameters um, can be helpful. Yeah, and I think also when Don was talking, I was thinking about how the, you know, this is the only book I've self-published. And um, I think that, that the reason I self-published this book was so that I could work directly with the printer because, and not that other publishers wouldn't have allowed for what I put in this book, but there was so much detail with the, the punctures and the varnish and the different papers that I really wanted to be able to converse directly with the printer and talk to them about what needed to happen next. And I love to collaborate with a publisher. I mean, it's great, but um, for this book, I, I really appreciated having the direct contact. And if I just may follow up, I think what is wonderful too, is this book has become its own entity. I mean, books, the book form is very separate than an image or, a, a, you know, a piece of work on the wall and how uh, it's fascinating how it's how it is, um, you know, shifted into this other thing that is very much its own, even though you're incorporating in a brilliant way to find those tactile, that tactility in a book. So it is an object that you're holding and then you're engaging the reader with the process that is a tactile experience. That's uh, wonderful. Thanks, Tom. Mm, mm. Makes me think of um, Dianita Singh um, and her whole. <laughs> I'd love to be compared to her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she takes the book and runs with it. No, yeah, so we learn really a lot does. from her. It was so interesting because, um, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about you lately, and it just so happened that I went to the Clark uh, this past weekend, and um, there's just two works by Aaron Sheriff. Sheref, I'll put a link in and when people register, we do a summary that you'll get these resources. But um, I mean, I have an iPhoto of her photo, but I'm, I, I, it is so much along the lines of the language that you have forwarded. And that's what I wanted to say that, that you know, in the beginning, I, I mentioned that I think that you brought other artists forward. And this is where it's getting reflected. They're taking things that you, your bold journey brought forth. And then there's people intersecting with your work that are in an earlier part of their career and bringing it that much further. So she's one of those people. And you were part of the, um, the Mary Foresta show on, um, what was it called? The, um, I've got it somewhere. The uh, no, that book was like in the 80s in, uh, I can't it remember was the title something I and women in photography defining I women photographers of the 20th century so hello that was Mary, that was Mary Forrester mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
So your influences are out there. And then um, sometimes I end with a quote because um, it's like, I've been thinking in, in, in some uh, people's words really sum it up. And so there was a quote by Claire Ping in Musée Magazine, and this is what she says about you. Um, this is a quote. She uses various techniques to reconstruct images collected over time and create what may be termed visual poems, lyrically opening up new possibilities for looking or even thinking about perception. They suggest the radical potential of the photographic medium to expand our imaginative horizon and challenge everyday vision. That's so nice. Beautiful and true and true and true. Um, yeah. I, I think Karen had a question, right? Oh, go for it. Yeah. You can see full screen. I can't hear. I, I can't hear. Unmute. Sorry, um, I don't know if you want to end, but I, I just wondered uh, why there was no mention of Van Bert songs emerge. <laughs> and I was wondering how this, because um, I think you did this work simultaneously or, you know, how did, how did one influence the other? That's a good question. Um, people can, you know, we only had so much time and Sib was kind enough to put as much as she could into this presentation. I'm, I'm assuming that's why um, we didn't put it in there. But yeah, I was making, I, I had shot um, Certainty of Nothing in 2019, but the work took a couple of years to uh, produce in the studio. Then that work, then I was making the book all during the lockdown. So that year um, I was dealing with making the book and, and making the book, I mean, I'm sure there's people who are better at it than I am, but it, it for me was hundreds of small decisions um, that are meaningful. Sure. And all those little tiny decisions add up to what the book is. And it was one decision after another. And so it's creative work, but it's not studio work. So I just set myself to doing something else. And this work had been dark. I don't think it's ultimately dark in its content. I think as Sib has noted, there's lots of hope there. There's lots of beauty there. There's a lot that I found there that was so inspiring, but I wanted to move out of that palette really quickly. So uh, bird songs came about during the lockdown and I was actually on a walk in my neighborhood and I was listening to some podcast about, I don't know, some science podcast and somebody said, you know, something about spring and the bird songs are going to emerge. And I thought, Ooh, that's my title. <laughs> so I worked on that, you know, really hard and fast over that year plus. Well, I hope you'll make a book of that because I just think that work is gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And plus, there's something behind your head that we've all been looking at that looks so oh. interesting. <laughs> no, I got to hide it. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Yeah. Well, thank In you. progress. Yeah. No, and I also, I, I mean, Bird Songs was beautiful. It was really funny because um, it was very difficult to limit because I could have literally taken things from probably eight bodies of work and and then we never would have gotten to the book but um I did I loved reading um even the artist statement from um 
bird songs and 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 I did allude to it when I was saying like was that parallel because it wasn't clear like how both of those were happening so thanks for asking that because that clarified that um it'll be very interesting to know what's next Sandy well it's it's in progress <laughs> but you never know you know you never know what's going to gel and what's you know there, I have made bodies of work that I have thrown in the garbage that that's mm -hmm. definitely has happened I and mean, it's been a long a lot of years and um there's some that just don't make it but yeah for the most you, part I've been lucky <laughs> yeah well actually I think that's a really interesting point uh the fact that not all of our ideas are worth all our effort and knowing when to let an idea go. Um, and then often some of those tangents lead to something later. Right. Um, you know, they're not for naught. Yeah. So I, I think we're, yeah, we're just about up with our time. So I wanna thank you, Sandy, and thank everyone that came to talk about this. This is such a privilege to, um, to just unpack the creative process because it is, it's so rich, so regenerative, right? It just brings more ideas, so. Well, thank, so thank you, you Sib, so and thank you for um, digging into so much of the work and uh, thanks to everybody for checking in here. <laughs> Terrific, and we will um, see you all hopefully in the winter. Our winter schedule will get published in a bit and it's really exciting. So I hope you join us uh, for that too. So I wish everyone, whatever you celebrate, I hope you are celebrating. And certainly, um, you know, if we're all talking and we've been in 2020 and 2021, we should all give a big scream June 1st, <laughs> January 1st of 2022, because it's been a lot. So, and uh, we will see, I think it's going to be an interesting impact on all kinds of creativity in terms of, of, of processing and, uh, and um, spearing new ways of thinking and innovating. Hopefully, I hope that those serpents stirring uh, let us work together. I hope working together is the outcome. So thank you all so much. Thank well, I'm you, sorry I didn't Seth. hear. I well, didn't that hear should you. be the goal, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. And I love that Persist came into it. It's been echoed all around. And that's a good one. Yeah. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you, so everyone. Much. You're welcome. Yeah. Take care. Michelle, I'm so glad you're on there. If you can hear me, you're on my wall. Are you still there? Where's Michelle? No, she's off. She actually um, is in New Zealand. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so thank you so much. I thought that went well. I don't know how many people were on yeah. at any point, but um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're very welcome. And we will, um, uh, what happens is people register and then we will send this summary because we kind of coalesce the, the resources and uh, then it will go on my website and you can reference it there. So yeah. Great. Yeah, great. Well, thank you had some you. great ideas and really you, uh, you got it all and, and I really appreciated it. And I know we had a lot of back and forth with those images, so I apologize for that, but we got it. <laughs> Not to worry. The best was when Matilda and I got in today and, and it was so funny. We put it up on the screen and I have a really big screen and she said, let's just go through. And I'm like, oh, like really? Okay. Uh -oh. And then I'm like, 
oh my god that's funny there was one that was twice it exactly that's what happened we had the text twice and we were like no and then actually one of the other images was actually misordered so we fixed oh. two things this morning <laughs> i'm talking like you can't make this up. It was just uh, very. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I just thought it's fine. It'll be great. Nobody will know. And you've been great. So, Sip, thank you so much. Ooh, it was really a so treat. Crazy. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. If I ever, um, well, we should cross paths in New York because I'm there often. And the other is, um, you're on Shelter Island, which is yes. a favorite place. Oh, oh, once oh. you come here, just please let me know. I would oh, be delighted I to have you over and that would be a treat. Thank you. I have, I have relatives on the North shore on the North uh -huh. and I just, um, it's just a special, special place, right? Yeah, that it's is, great. Oh my gosh. It's I even love great. just doing the ferry just for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's five minutes. It's like, okay, can I swim or do I put my car on there and go? It's like, <laughs> Yeah, so good. All well, right, you take care. You as well. Have a great holiday. Thank you. Thank you All right, so take much. care. You're take welcome. Care. Bye. -bye. Bye.